Miles, it, we've taken two weeks off. A two-week hiatus. I've been globetrotting. You've been globetrotting. Um, we both spent some time in Monaco. We spent some time in St. Petersburg. Um, I believe we were both um, in Bora Bora. But but we're finally back. We are sitting. It, we, we've been making so much money at this podcast. We we felt like, hey, let's just spend it. You, you only live once. Let's go on a world tour. Let's eat the best champagne or drink the best champagne, eat the best caviar. But eventually the money runs out and and we're back. So uh, how are you doing, my friend? Well, you might have been able to do that during our bye week, but I was on IR with the sore esophagus. It's just been a long season. And so I was back at the facility with kind of lemon teas and and potions and tinctures and to to get these vocal cords back in condition. So it was a long bye week for me. That's kind of how it works in the NFL. You have an injury. You have to stay at the facility in the bye week. If you're good to go, you can travel the world as you did but what's important is we're we're ready to compete for for this week's episode both of us very good always always compete um in all seriousness this episode is a, is a long time coming we wanted to do some sort of a bonus episode that was a year in review right i mean let's just let's look at the year let's look at how this hawk season unfolded a little bit we both have a few tidbits to share so it's fun to do this. It's it's nice to put a wrap on things. It is nice to put a wrap on things. I had great ambitions for the different categories. Um, I, I was trying to call them the Hockey Awards, which um, is a great idea until I remember there is a sport called hockey. But when I say Hockey Awards, I hope the listener can hear that I'm spelling it H-A-W-K-I-E, the Hockey Awards. Um, I'm not going to say that word anymore just out of the but it was it was a good idea while it lasted i think if this was in the newspaper we could see that headline the hockey awards again not talking about the kraken or anything you know i think we could see it we could see it uh i had ideas for this like week 17 or so that i thought would be fun and this this doggone coaching thing it's taken all the i was ready to reflect on this It, it feels the season feels like a long time ago but uh It'll it be really, good. it'll be good. Yeah, it it really does, and you're right. The coaching search has really, um, it's it's must see. I don't know, must see TV. That doesn't even really apply anymore to our lives. But um, for me, I know I'm personally checking Twitter quite often. I'm I'm checking to see, hey, you know, where we're at in the process. Have we hired anybody yet? Um, I'll admit to you during the games, and l- let's talk a little bit about the playoff games. There was really entertaining football to to watch. While we're watching those games, I find myself thinking, well, I wouldn't mind the Ravens losing so that we could get that interview process started on Monday. I'm dead serious. I've, and I'm sure plenty of people thinking that way. And then during the Detroit game, I was like, I mean, I don't like San Francisco, but man, if we can get that Ben Johnson guy in here ASAP and just you know get the conversation going so we can just figure out who it's going to be. So I will say, even though maybe the teams that I didn't want to win won, I was rooting for the Ravens in Detroit. I, on the flip side, we were able to move on with our coaching search, which is um, which is beneficial. We we need to get that thing started. There seems to be a lot of confusion amongst the league about how to handle, and it is not a new issue, but how to handle the issue of interviewing a coach who is currently in the playoffs. And I feel 
the solution is quite obvious, which is Zoom interview with a 30-minute maximum. They have timed interviews at the combine between the players, but it sounds like these coordinators, they're having to get ready for the biggest games of their lives, and then they have to spend so much attention getting ready for the biggest conversations of their lives. I feel like that'd be really tough for the players. You you would kind of have an awareness that your coach isn't a hundred percent there as they've been all week. So let's cap that thing at 30 minutes, you know, feel free one conversation a week uh, per team. And you know, if you want to wait for your guy, you got to wait for your guy. And if you don't, you don't, I don't, I don't know why a time limit since that, that 15 minute interview is such a, a hallmark of the NFL combine and drafting these players. I don't, I don't know why we're not doing the same thing during the playoffs. It's, it's funny. I had the opposite idea. So this is this is good fodder. So I was thinking about it from a marketing perspective, you know. So the NFL has found a way to dominate almost almost every month of the year, right? I mean, you finish the season. The season starts in August, really, with um uh, with with preseason, but really it kind of starts in July with training camp. But really, it kind of starts in June with mini camp. But really, you know, it kind of starts in May with finishing up free agency and whatnot. But really, it kind of starts in March uh, with the draft. And and it made me think like, if I was the NFL, what I would do is I would say you may not hire a coach, you may not interview anyone until the day after the Super Bowl. So so basically start like it's like a new season. Like you have draft season for the NFL, you would have head coaching season and it would have to fit in between the Super Bowl and the draft, which I think would do a couple of things. I think it would be frantic, which I think would be very entertaining. I think it'd be it would um it would make it so teams really had to decide, do we really want to fire this guy because if we do, it's this is probably going to be a year of disadvantage for us because it's going to be rough. We're going to have to hire this person really fast before the draft. There's, it's going to be helter skelter. Um, and I think it would just be incredibly entertaining. So I, I think it would accomplish a couple of things. And I think they could actually make these decisions pretty fast if they had to. So um, that's my suggestion to the NFL. Dominate one more moment in our lives. Take own between the Super Bowl and the draft, you can own that real estate that somehow you didn't own. You could just have it. It's not often I think this happens in the history of of sports talk, but y- you won that one. Thank really. you. I forget, forget, forget what I was saying. That's a brilliant idea, and uh, let me just riff on that for a little bit. We've got Black Monday, you know. There you go. Which is, yep. Which is a really tough day, honestly, emotionally. So yep. many families around the league now. Because with the Super Bowl ending around February, <gasps> Matchmaking Monday. It's Super match Bowl Sunday. Monday. Yes, Super absolutely. Super Bowl Sunday into Matchmaking Monday. You know, Valentine's plans ignored around the country as ProFootballRumors.com is refreshed once again as, as, yes, Matchmaking Monday. And I think your idea would also encourage internal promotions. Because I think we could agree the Patriots promoting Gerard Mayo from within yeah, Incredible. go for it. Yeah, you can go for that during the playoffs. No problem. But uh, yeah, externally, got to wait till matchmaking Monday. There there we go. There we go. Man. I'd give uh, that a hockey award if I could, that idea. 
we'll send it straight to Roger Goodell and, um, you know, we'll see if we can get that installed into next year. I, I, I'm sure the com- competition committee will have to review and there'll be a few, maybe Condoleezza Rice will come in. I don't know if she has a role in the NFL or not, but I know she, she messes around with college football a bit. So, um, yeah, no, I think we'll look her in on the email. That'd be great. Yeah. Just we'll CC her. Maybe BCC. I don't know. We'll see what we feel like. Um, what'd you think of the games? Just real quick before we get into our, our old Hawks. Um, any any takeaways, any thoughts as you're watching, you know, maybe even specifically the Ben Johnson led Lions offense or the Mike McDonald defense? I know you're you're a Mike McDonald guy. I mean, Mike McDonald guy. I'm Here a McDonald guy. I think the listener can go back to when the Seahawks got mollywopped, I think was mm. the term you introduced to me by the yep. Ravens. You could hear me being a McDonald guy back then. And uh, what I did realize is that we could go straight from a transition to from Pete Nuggets to McDonald Nuggets. I realized Ooh. that. I realized that yesterday. Mind blown. <laughs> it Whoa. took me until yesterday to realize that, but uh, I did realize it. so so the stakes are high. Okay, the stakes are high because what what a transition that would be. Wow. Um, here's what I was thinking watching the games. I was thinking a lot about a former Seahawk, Mr. Malcolm Smith, the MVP of Super Bowl, whatever it was, the Seahawks 43-8 to win over the Broncos. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of plays not be completed. I'm seeing drops. I'm seeing... Receivers drop passes. I'm seeing defensive backs drop things that should be interceptions. We have Zay Flowers uh, getting a fumble forced at the goal line. I'm Beautiful a lot defensive of play. It's yeah. just like, ah, dang it. And it made me think about when Malcolm Smith won that MVP, it was, I think the feeling at the time was kind of like, yeah, why not? This team's so deep. Why not give it to, uh, you know, the the this guy we you know the 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 10th 12th biggest name on the defense it was almost like a point of pride of like yeah yeah sure 7th round pick yeah let's get in the car i went back and i looked at cuz malcolm smith goes in this two week period he intercepts the tip sherman's tip on the pass to crabtree to clinch the seahawks ticket to the super bowl and then what i didn't realize about his his pick 6 in the super bowl itself Seahawks are up 15-0 at that point, and the Broncos are driving. So it's a two-position game, and it could be a one-position game. And what I didn't remember, he recovered a forced fumble later in that game, too. And then the interception itself, I totally forgot about this. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> it's, it's a tipped pass at the line from Manning to no Sean Moreno. Pass okay. is tipped, it pops up, and oh, you know it. I'm, I'm amazed at how much I've drilled on this thing all year. Attacking the catch point. Smith attacks the catch point. Marino could have gotten it, but he's like on his back foot. Uh, and then just so Malcolm Smith, KJ Wright had him on as a guest previewing the NFC championship game. And they were breaking down some film of Fred Warner and the Niners and the linebackers. It is the most high level football discussion I've ever seen <laughs> outside of the world's only Seahawks podcast. Just sure. Kidding. No, these guys are scholars. One, they're both in their like offices. They've got like it's like a professor's office setting that they're both in, and they're breaking it down like professors. And it just occurred to me that Smith felt like the real professional. And for all these plays, he just went to the play. 
He just followed through and went to the play. That pass to Crabtree is in the corner. It seems like nothing's going to come out of it. Smith just follows it. Boom. He's there to yeah. make the catch. Just cleanly makes the catch. And it really made me appreciate what a thoughtful, a scholar of football that guy was and how thoughtful he was in his fundamentals. And man, it paid off in the biggest moments. And you just never know if you're going to have a big moment like that. And he had three in two weeks. They can come fast at you. And he was there to just clinch them all. And it seems like not that big of a deal, but they were huge, huge plays. Yeah, put yourself in position to be in the right spot, do your work and all of that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you were listening to, this is now maybe three or four weeks ago, Mike Zalk just kind of brought that brought that tip up and he was saying like how important Malcolm Smith actually was to that play. And because Richard Sherman was so crazy with Aaron Andrews, he kind of takes the spotlight of, you know, the tip, which what Richard did was incredible. But it is weird to think about if Richard if Richard tips it, if, if Richard does everything the exact same and Malcolm Smith isn't there to intercept it, it's like I think that was a I could be wrong, but I think that was a first down play. So like they just go right back to, oh, OK, that was an incomplete. Like, we'll just keep trying to win this game. So the idea, I mean, it, it speaks to the ultimate team sport. It's incredible. And um, God bless Malcolm Smith. He gave us a lot of good memories. Um, crazy to think about that. That's your third best linebacker on that team by far. I mean, Malcolm Smith was excellent and he was the third best linebacker on that team. And I mean, frankly, it wasn't even close. Um, which is just wild to think about. Like that's, that's when you have a team like humming when <laughs> Bobby Wagner, KJ, Wright, Malcolm Smith. It's hilarious. It's true, but I, I'll never take a pick six for granted anymore or a fumble recovery. Like those yeah. things, they're kind of random in terms of like being able to predict them, but I don't think they're random in terms of them like happening. Like I think, I think you prepare yourself for them. Uh, and like you said, he's like, yeah, he had, he had prepared himself for them, even though he was a relative, a relatively anonymous member of that defense, but it shows yeah. just how prepared they were from top to bottom. Absolutely. And it, it reminds me. So, <clears throat> um, just now as you're taking me down memory lane, that great goal line stand, right? So you mentioned the Zay flowers fumble at the goal line. That was an awesome punch out by Sneed from, from the chiefs. And that actually reminded me of a great Seahawks moment, which is and maybe the most effort play I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I can't even remember who we were playing. I just remember Earl Thomas making the play. Um, uh, either a running back or a wide receiver was going in for a touchdown right at the pylon. And uh, Earl Thomas went like full Superman, like flying through the air his fist like leading the charge and just knock the ball out. And it was one of those, it's right next to the pylon. And instead of it going out of bounds, he knocked it out of the back of the end zone. So it was a touchback for the Seahawks. Um, it, one of the most incredible athletic plays and he, from the safety position, he roved all the way over to make the play. And it was one of those where it's like everything had broken down the guy was going to get into the end zone and Earl just Superman it and just made it happen. And at the, I mean, at the very last moment prevented a touchdown, it, it's probably my favorite Earl Thomas play of all time. And, and watching that Sneed play um, against a flowers immediately reminded me of it. Cause 
what an incredible effort play. Like, I can't let this ball get into the end zone. Like, I just, I can't. That I have to stop it. It's great. And I always feel that's why the playoffs are so, are so compelling every year, no matter, you know, if your team's in them or not, because it's, it's just so crazy how it just happens that like the whole eye of the lead, the football world, like comes in on a guy. Yeah. And they, they come through or they don't. And it's so high stakes. I feel bad for the guys who don't, you know, but then it's, it's such a triumph for the guys who do the Malcolm Smiths who yeah. do, you know, um, but I think, it, I think it's going to be a fun Super Bowl. I mean, um, the 49ers are so undeniably great and they're so deep at every single freaking position. It's unbelievable to watch that team. So I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm looking, I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, the Christian McCaffrey trade is like an unbelievably good trade. I remember when it happened, I was like, this guy's always hurt. Like he's really, really good, but he's always hurt. This is going to backfire on the Niners. And it has not that he's just, he's had an incredible season, incredible couple seasons. They're, they're a great team. What can I say? I hate them, but they're good. I was watching Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. They won another playoff game and this has become quite a routine and it was making me wonder just where we are in the history books all time with playoff wins yeah so Patrick Mahomes has 14 playoff wins as of right now before the Super Bowl we'll see what happens which puts him in a career tie with Peyton Manning Steve Young and John Elway so (laughs) however old he is he's currently tied with those guys and it was making me think, so, okay, so Brady's the all-time leader at 35. There's one position player who has more than half of his career playoff wins in, in the NFL history. Who has half, like, it goes Brady at 35, and then it's like Gostowski at 21, Vinatieri at 20, two kickers. And then there's one position player at 19, uh, Bill Romanowski. Oh, uh, whoa. But he got on board with like four different teams in the playoffs. So he's at 19. Mahomes is at 14. Kelsey's at 15. I mean, these guys are really like coming up on on the top of things. It's really crazy. And I believe Tony Gonzalez only played in one playoff game, which is just wild. That is tough. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe the best looking man in NFL history. And he only got to play in one playoff game. That is a travesty. That those power rankings coming next episode. Yeah, I'm working on that. I'm working on the. Uh, we're going to call them the cuties, um, <laughs> and it's going to be it's going to be really good. Okay, you you want to go to your hockey's? Do, should we should we talk about the hockey? How do you like pronounce over pronounce the word the hawksters? Hawksters. Now that makes you think more like. A hawk, yeah. Okay. Just gotta make sure everyone knows that there's a W in there. This is um, the, I know this is the 48th annual Hawkster Awards, but we're still just locking in the name. But I, I think you, we're ready for the 48th straight year to present our our Hawkster Awards. G- give us the first category, sir. The first Hawkster Award goes to the most. Oh, and by the uh, you you don't know what I'm gonna say answer wise. I've got a secret ballot here. Yeah. Uh, for for the Hawksters, the 48th annual Hawksters. The first Hawkster goes to the most fun play of the year. I, the play that maybe it maybe it didn't impact a win. Maybe it was just the most fun. It was the 
the most excited you got the entire year watching the old Seahawks. Oh man, I was hoping that dr- I was hoping I saw drums on our little audio thing. I was like, oh, drum roll would be perfect. Sorry about that, folks. It it wasn't. This is not a sponsored podcast. Um, it does make me feel though like we are at an awards banquet with. Uh, we both are wearing our suits and ties. At oh yeah, this, and we do have the trophy, the Hawkster trophies, right next to us that we're going to just kind of shift from one end of our table to the other since the. Seahawks aren't here right now, so that really kind of elevated the. I'm planning on driving them up to Renton, and yeah, I'll I'll take them to the to the VMAC. So so my first um, Hawkster award for the the fun play of the year goes to. I wish I had a drum roll, but I don't. I'll just say it. Um, and this is what I wrote down: the massive, because that's the only thing I could think of. TD uh, that. DK Metcalf had against Dallas. So if you remember, um, it was a, a slant right down the middle, bam. And you know what? 60 yard touchdown. It was one of those moments where we actually talked about it. Uh, well, of course we did, but we, we specifically went some time how cool it was, like how DK just ran like as fast as he could. And there was a moment when like there were no Dallas Cowboys anywhere near him and he was still like running hard. And it was just, I don't know. It, it was a, um, I, what, what do you say about DK? It, I, I hate the term freak athlete, but it is so apropos to DK Metcalf. It was just, it was such a beautiful, crazy, like, yeah, that's a DK Metcalf play. And he just blew this game wide open. Unfortunately, we didn't go on to win that game, but it certainly wasn't DK's fault as I believe DK had three touchdowns against Dallas. He was a man possessed. You're correct about that one. I th- I think what's memorable about that play to me is it made you realize that, oh, we are almost going a, a year at a time between being able to see DK at actual top speed on a football field. Like for the most, like there's a, like, you know, average depth of target, 10 yards or whatever. That's not enough time for him to get to top speed. You know, there's just, there's very, very few circumstances where he's actually hitting his top top speed and you saw it for just a few seconds there and it was like whoa yeah i mean it very few seconds because it's it's so fast um so yeah that's that's my fun play of the year what's yours mine is pretty early in the year i'm going back to monday night football week four devin witherspoon picks off danny dimes at the goal line 98 yard pick six the other way um that was a it was a fourteen to three win, and just like the Malcolm Smith interception, actually, I didn't realize the the tie in here, but that game was only fourteen to three, and the Giants were on the goal line at, at the time of that pick. So really, that game might not have turned into a blowout without that huge pick six. It was only Spoon's uh, third career game, yeah, and you were we were already excited at that point. It was like, wow, Seahawks really have something here, and. To do that in his first primetime game, um, that always stood out to me the entire year of like, wow, what a play. A new a new generation has arrived for sure. It was it was exciting to just know. Because at that time there's a lot there was a lot of talk around Seattle about a, a name that hasn't been mentioned a lot in the last few months, Mr. Jalen Carter. That's right. Oh, Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter. Um, best of luck to Jalen Carter in Philadelphia, but 
that was the start of Jalen Carter's name being mentioned a lot less in Seattle and everybody being very happy with the Spoon Man. I, I think that might have been the play that inspired you to throw out all the forks in your house, and you've been been spooning it ever since. Steak night has been tough, but I think it's been worth it that yeah. you're a fork-free household uh, no, that, in honor that of the was, Spoon Man. Yeah, that was uh, where we... We just couldn't do, I love sporks and I can't even do those. I have to be completely dedicated to spoons. Well, what stands out to me about that game specifically was that it seemed like that was a game that, that spoon and Jamal Adams both dominated. Like even though Jamal played for what the first, um, like nine snaps, seven nine to nine snaps. snaps. I mean, he, he, he got that concussion really fast. So I'm not trying to joke at all. Like, that that was the game in the beginning where I was like, holy moly, like Jamal looks like a madman and he was going after the quarterback. And that was the first game where I thought to myself, like, OK, both of these guys on the field, this could be quite the dynamic duo of just destruction for a, you know, for an offense. And we didn't quite ever see that. I think the way we wanted to there, there were definitely a few games where they both like performed at the at a very high level. Um, with Jamal's injuries that made it a lot harder, but that was the game to me. I just think of both of them kind of together in that game because even though it was only nine snaps, Jamal was different in that game. He was in the quarterback's face almost instantly. So, um, yeah, that's a fun one. It's a fun one, and I'm not even mentioning the Hawks got very close to the all-time NFL record with 11 sacks on the quarterback in that game. That's crazy. That's insane. Yeah, that was and, a good uh, game. Of course, what you have to do, what you have to do after that is interview the offensive coordinator for your head coaching job. After you got sorry, to. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, this this is the Hawkster Award. So sorry, we, we got to stay with the Hawksters. Um, uh, give me your important play. So not the favorite, but the important play of the year. Yeah, important uh, to me. It's funny. Both of these plays to me were were, were quite. Um, I I didn't really think of any other candidate for either of them. Important play of the year, once again on Monday Night Football, Week 15, fourth quarter. Drew Locke drops it in the bucket to Jackson Smith and Jigba for the touchdown to secure the win over the Eagles. Twenty nine yard throw on on third and ten, and uh, looking back at it, that that. Matt Patricia and the Eagles got a lot of criticism for how the defense was called, but that ball had to be absolutely perfect, and it was. It, it was a pretty well-defended play. There was there was one place to put the ball, and that's exactly where Drew Locke put it. It was just such a crazy moment. It's a little less crazy now, knowing that the Eagles season ended as bizarrely as it did, but hey, look, it's an NFL team, This and the Seahawks were part of that that play was a big part of the reason that, uh, you know, the Eagles were kind of sliding downhill and, and couldn't really stop. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't catch their breath. No, absolutely. I, that's a good one, man. I, I went, I think in a similar direction from, at least from a standpoint of, of the, the, the group. So for me, it was, and it seems weird that you would say this is an important play because it was only week two, but it, but to me, in in retrospect, it makes sense because um, it was against the Detroit Lions, right? So eventually the Lions go on to be one of the best teams in the NFC. 
And, uh, and to me, one of the key really important victories that the Seahawks got when you look back at the season as a whole, you can point to that Detroit game as, as an important one for us. Um, if you remember, that game went into overtime. Um, and in fact, that was a game where uh, um, Gino, I was rewatching it today, Gino um, makes a terrible decision um, right before the game goes into overtime and like takes a I don't know, probably like a 20 yard sack. He he like runs backwards, almost runs into the end zone, takes just just a, a historically bad sack. <laughs> we have to punt it. That puts them in great field position. They tie the game. Here we go. But Gino comes right back. Um, he throws two great passes and we will get to the play, I promise. But I wanted to give you this because it was to two tight ends. The first pass Gino throws in overtime is right down the seam, right down the middle to none other than Noah Fant for like a 20-yard pickup. So first play of the game in overtime. Um, has a few other plays and then another huge play down the left sideline uh, to Colby Parkinson, another kind of 20-yard type play to Colby. Um, the goddess in position, the play before the Tyler Lockett touchdown is to DK Metcalf on the left-hand side. And then finally the play Tyler Lockett is out on the right hand, right side of the field um, fakes like he's going to go inside and then runs toward the sidelines and um, uh, throws just a dart. Gino throws a dart to Tyler, but he's still, he's not in the end zone at the, at the moment. He's about, I don't know, two yards outside the end zone and Tyler has to kind of do a dive for the pylon. And that is how we win that game. We seal it with the Tyler Lockett um, pylon touching touchdown. And, you know, in retrospect, as I think about it, pretty important play, right? Because it's a, it was one of our key wins. Uh, we, we didn't know it at the time, but it turns out one of the marquee wins of the year against a really great team. And Tyler Lockett delivered as he always does. It, it probably is the best. It is. <laughs> I wonder if he, if it makes sense to retroact. Can you retroactively change the value of wins? You know, were they just as valuable as they are when it happened? It, okay, whatever. It's it, it. Looking back at it, it is the the peak of the Seahawks season. Funny enough, coming off one of the worst games that Week One loss, uh, home loss to the Los Angeles Rams, where uh, things things looked awry, and to correct just about everything immediately like that uh, was a good feeling. And you had to, I, I can remember that big Gino sack. Now it's funny. I had not thought about that at all, but uh, yeah. And that was the game. It was, look, it was that drive and those completions that got me on this whole doggone three tight ends thing. Look, the Hawks started it. Okay. They put those three beautiful tight ends out there and that drive, that overtime drive was, was a thing of beauty. Uh, they had those guys on the field a lot for that drive, and and I couldn't stop talking about it for months. They did work, man. No, it was a great game. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. If you think about how in the dumps everybody was after week one. I mean, after week one, we were in the dumps. Oh, my gosh. We were supposed to destroy this Rams team. What happened? Who's this kid named Puka Nakua? We've never even heard of him, and he's so good. <laughs> um. So yeah, just it, incredible turnaround right off the bat to, to get the season. Um, here's the next category. Shout out to a Hawk. So who who is the Seahawk that you feel like you didn't 
shout out enough this year? Who didn't get enough credit from Miles Ray? You know what? This is basically the reason I wanted to do the Hawkster Awards this year, because I wanted to do a shout out to a Hawk, a bonus shout out. I don't know if I said this player's name on the World's Only Seahawks podcast the entire year, but I really appreciated what he did and very excited for him to be a long-term player on the team. And, and that is Boye Mafe. Mm. Second year, nine sacks, six passes defended, 16 quarterback hits, one forced fumble, just his first season as a regular starter. It was it was incredibly exciting, and it's, it's crazy that he is, I mean, this Russell Wilson trade, the, the picks and the players just kept on coming. He, he was part of that deal. He was taken number 40 overall in 2022. Uh, the Seahawks were sitting at 41, where they took uh, Kenny Walker, and the Broncos pick was number 40. They took Boye Mafe. Well, I mean, it's crazy the value, the the players that the Seahawks were able to to get with the picks they got from Denver. But more than more than just Boye Mafe's play, I really do have the feeling, and of course things can change very quickly in professional sports, but I just have a good feeling that this is a man for Seattle. There's a really great history of Seahawks players, and I'm thinking of Doug Baldwin, I'm thinking of K.J. Wright, guys who stay in the city for a long time after they are retired, who become a part of the city. And I just have a feeling that that's going to be Boye Mafe. I feel like he's he's, he's just a very stoic guy, which is very interesting, especially for a defensive player. And I just have a good feeling that he's the, he's the type of guy who he's so solid that you you just keep him. You just he's the kind of guy who does not move around the NFL. And uh, hopefully my prediction's right. And this guy retires as a hawk. And uh, th- th- does that make sense? I mean, it's it's kind of a crazy thing to say about a player in only his second year, but I just kind of had that feeling. There's all these guys in the NFL, either players or GMs or coaches. They just kind of like don't stay in a place. And I just kind of had that feeling about Boye. That's a, that's a very weird, interesting, cool thought. I, I hadn't thought it at all, but I get what you're saying. He seems like kind of a stalwart kind of guy, a stalwart, stalwart or word. How do you say that? Stalwart. Stalwart. Unless you're talking about John Stalworth, the Steelers Hall of Fame wide receiver, who was this type of guy we're talking about. Well, he's that kind of a guy where you just feel as though you want him on your team forever. Um, you know, if you just look at the what Boye did from year one to year two, the massive jump. At one point, what, he had seven sacks in a row this year. I mean, Boye, and if you think about it, he did that in context of us losing our best pass rusher, right? So we lose Chenna. And now Boye is really having to do a lot more work on his own without, you know, having his partner in crime on the other side of the of the line. So um, unbelievable development year. I mean, I'll say this. If every player, if every rookie can develop the way the Boye Mafe developed from year one to year two, we'd be in really good shape. I mean, he he had a great, great year. And I think you're right. The, even his demeanor, his quiet kind of nature, the way he seems to go about his business, he seems like the sort of guy that could stick around a long time. So um, I like that. And you, you need guys like that. Um, for me, and I feel funny even saying this because he's the most overlooked wide receiver in all of football. And he was on my fantasy team and I love him. And I feel like I did talk about him a bit. 
but not enough is Tyler Lockett. Um, you know, on a team, it's unreal how he can, in my mind, always fly under the radar, um, no matter what. And on a team with DK Metcalf and um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, it seemed some, somehow easy to forget that Tyler was there. And then he just did what he does every single year, which is post. I mean, that's the only word I think for it. He just um, is the epitome of consistency. Um, he's a professional. He makes the clutch catch when you need it. He makes the big catch when you need it. He gets the touchdowns when you need them. He's unbelievable. And he's, I think, probably a quarterback's best friend. So, um, yeah, Tyler Lockett, I I probably didn't talk about him enough. Um, and I don't know how he does it. I don't know how someone this good is just perpetually under the radar, but it seems to be in his nature. I don't, I don't get it. It's, uh, I'm seeing a connection because I, I feel like Lockett is also like uh, a man for Seattle. It, it feels like he's kind of like there. Like I hope so. I, I don't know about after his career is done, but but certainly in his playing career, it, it's it's very hard to imagine him in in any other uniform and and a player to put in. It's probably about a decade now, right? Or oh yeah, aren't close. Like uh, it, it's a very rare and special thing for a player to spend a decade on on a team. Uh, in any capacity in yeah with you I do it's hard to say I do think the Seahawks wide receivers could be the best in the league next year it's a it's a tremendous trio of players and Jackson Smith and Jigba will only be in his second year and yeah you uh, you say that and you kind of want to over overlook Lockett because Metcalf and and JSN have have uh flashier moments but you're just proving your point about yeah. how, how valuable he is yeah no he's he's the best um yeah and i hope we can keep him forever i mean I, and, and it's kind of interesting my understanding is he has a very high i don't like getting into the whole like cap numbers and all that because it's frankly not my problem and john schneider is gonna have to figure out all that out but um but he does have a fairly high cap number. So it's going to be, I think, difficult to keep Tyler on the team is my understanding, which would be heartbreaking. I mean, he's he's a great, great player. So we'll we'll see what happens. But as as we've learned from the coaching situation, um, no one is safe. Right. I mean, so everyone's time comes. I, I hope it's not Tyler's because I think he sells a lot of good football at him. You know what? I love that approach that uh, it's the GM's problem. I'll let them. <laughs> I got my own person. I got a budget, my own personal life. I got a budget. This, this football team too. It's a, it's a great, it's a great thought. I, I definitely go the opposite. I'll dig into those numbers because I want to know what's happening next. But uh, you know what? That's, that's the yin and the yang that makes the world's only Seahawks podcast hum for 48 straight years. Well, yeah, it's why it's um, both our mom's favorite podcast because of that reason. So, you know, it, it and and they are both wise, wonderful women. So why wouldn't this be everyone else's favorite podcast? I can only assume if it's both of our mom's favorite podcasts, then it, it's got to be that the same for most people around the globe. I haven't looked at at where we are the Apple rankings, but I I I do think the Kelsey brothers have us beat. Maybe a couple of others. <sighs> That's demoralizing. That is demoralizing. Um, 
But I mean, listen, those guys. It's not going to stop us from competing. Yeah, always compete. Always compete. Um, where are we at? What's our next? The next Hawkster goes to our personal favorite yes. Hawk of the year. Yes. That was, that was a shout out to an underappreciated Hawk, but who's the number one Hawk of the year that you liked watching on your screen more than any other? I'll let you know. Tristan, we got the same guy. Do we really? We do. He was fun. Listen, he gave you that beautiful interception that you spoke about earlier, and then he kept delivering. Witherspoon was very entertaining, wasn't he? I mean, he was just an extremely entertaining guy to watch. Almost, I was going to say week in and week out, but almost play in and play out. It seemed like he was just always on the screen doing something. Very rare for the Seahawks to be picking this high in the draft. Obviously, they get they get the number five pick thanks to the Russell Wilson trade. And it is so rare. Even at that high in the draft, when you've got the whole nation of players to choose from, it is so rare for a player to be picked that high and for it to be about a month or so, two, three weeks, a month, a month at the latest into his career, and you're going, I get it. I see why he was picked number five. He's completely justified his pick already. It can really go the opposite direction, or it can just kind of stay in the middle and it's just kind of like, oh, whatever. But with Devin Witherspoon... After just a couple weeks, you're going, I see why he was picked number five. Immediately justifies the draft position, which is which he didn't have to do it that fast for it to be a great draft pick, but he did. And what I started to appreciate as the year went on more and more was it seemed like out of all the players on the defense, and there were a lot of problems on the defense, it seemed like he was constantly making to look an energetic play to get to pick everybody else up. It seemed like he was very conscious of that all the time, and it seemed like he made some huge plays. Nothing specific is coming to mind, but I just remember the feeling of, even in the Steelers game, one of the low points of the year, it, it, he, was, he was still kind of picking up the energy for everybody and... Yeah, it's it's just incredibly exciting to be like, whoa, and this was year one. You know, rookie, yeah. rookies are not expected to contribute to winning football, and he did, and yeah, it's just the start. It's It was, it. I think it shows, well, I mean, not to take any credit away from Devin himself, who's the man doing the thing, but I think it does show that John Schneider is an incredible general manager because this is like his one moment to be in the top half of the draft, and it's like, boom. Got somebody huge immediately. Yeah, no, he was he was excellent. I mean, y- you talk about it's hard to even put your finger on the plays because he made great tackles. He he hit guys really hard. Um, he got sacks. I mean, there was a point in the season where he had more sacks than Jalen Carter. I mean, it was hilarious. You're like, what, what what's he can't what what can't this guy do? And then he gives you the interceptions too, and you felt like he was really on that level of, yeah, he's a lockdown corner. Um, and I think we even spoke about, you know, the, the, at this point, the, the standard bearer is, can he be as good as sauce Gardner, right? Like sauce's rookie season compared to Devin's rookie season. Um, don't know what Devin will end up winning defensive rookie of the year, but he's in the running for it. Um, an award that sauce won last year. So even just the fact that it's like, He's he's in the running for I think he's you know, I, I couldn't even tell you what it is right now, but he's a top whatever candidate, top five candidate for defensive rookie of the year. I mean, 
what more can you ask for, right? That's that's pretty incredible. And I wondered as the year was going on, it felt like maybe it's just human nature where it's like the the defense can't be led by a rookie, no matter how good <laughs> that rookie is. There's just maybe something about like that. Well, there's guys who've been in the NFL before. You can't have a look a rookie leading you. It's so, but it's it's. I wouldn't be surprised to see if he's the leader of the defense from year two next just like the moment he's no longer a rookie you know as next season starts if it's like yes th- this is Devin Witherspoon's defense um you know uh, depending on whether or not Bobby returns but you know there's you even if Bobby returns you can certainly you would certainly expect there to be a sort of passing of the torch yeah I mean listen we can both imagine a world where Bobby's not on the defense where Jamal Adams is an this defense, right? And then suddenly, a lot of those veteran, suddenly your average age just got a lot younger, right? I mean, you suddenly, now you really are a super young defense, and and there's going to be more of an opportunity to, to fill those voids. So, um, yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Um, let me do mine first, because you have a good answer on this next one. I Now, folks, I do know his answer on this next one, but... Um, but but the Hawk of the Year award um, and and the way we are defining this, the way that you define it is the player who helped the Hawks win the most in 2023. Um, I sat at my desk for a long time thinking about this one and the way that I was kind of thinking through it. Um, I, I didn't I I didn't feel like I wanted I, I wanted to kind of have this exercise without thinking about the quarterback position whatsoever. So I was thinking about it purely just everybody else except, um, which I don't know if that was the right way to go about it or not. I don't know if that really makes sense or not, or if that's fair. Um, But I will say as many characters as I love on this team, I had a really hard time. And my answer is I have no idea. And I, I think that might be one of the reasons why we're sitting in this position not talking about the Seahawks going to the Super Bowl. I didn't I didn't feel as I reminisced about this season that there was one player that I really looked at and I was like, yeah, he he took it over, you know, whether that would be um a TJ Watt, you know, type character or um a Bosa type character. Um even um uh Panay Sewell, the the right tackle for um, the Detroit Lions that just seem to take over games from that position. Um, thinking through the the great secondary players in this league, you know, I, I think Devin is certainly on his way to that, um, but I didn't feel like he was quite there yet. When I think about the way that Cam used to take over games, um, I I could not come up with one Miles, and and I I, I don't know the way that I'm going to write this narrative. I think that's telling that. I couldn't think of someone that really jumped out to me. It's a fair answer. And I, I wish this would happen at like the Oscars of just kind of like, we're coming up for, for best picture and it's just kind of like, Hey, look, usually we hand this out and, and we wanted to, but let's be honest. There's not a best picture every year. Now for me, <laughs> I totally see what you mean, but for, for me, I just had a different perspective on what I meant. And I, I wanted to, we had a different criteria. Yeah, we we kind of our brains looked at the problem a little differently, which is great. Uh, I would like to see an like if, 
if you knew at the Oscars they could open that envelope and it wouldn't go to anybody, that would be. Just for the, it, it only has to happen like 5% of the time. And it's like, whoo! Uh, dude, dude, so I'm sorry. I revolutionized the way that the NFL should think about coaching searches. You just increased the ratings of the Oscars by like 800%. The Oscar, I, I would tune in. I have not watched the Oscars in years. If I knew there was a slight chance that would happen for best film, I I would not even I wouldn't even think about it. Like it would be on every single year. Can you imagine the drama? Can you imagine seeing like actors and directors sitting at the table and then like it if they open that up and it's like none of you were good enough this year. You don't deserve best best picture. I mean that you can't overdo it. If you're doing it two times in 10 years, that's like the max. You, you yeah, can't do agreed. it like like the max. Yeah, yeah. It just has it just has to uh, be a possibility. Uh, yeah, we got man, a lot of good ideas going here. Man, um, send that. Who do we BCC on that email? I, I don't I'm even gonna, know. Put in the email of Condoleezza Rice. I, I'm hoping she can do something with it. I would like to think, I don't know though, if that's the right person to get in touch with. It might be too late for this year. Of all the actors that would be like down with it, I feel like Tom Cruise would be like, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's the way it should be." Screw it, man. Like I just kind of picture him like being a little competitive, you know, and be like, "Yeah, I mean, if, if it's not good enough, it's not good enough." Um, hey, that's that's how it works with the Hall of Fame. They don't they don't have a set number of people. It's it's a, a percentage point. criteria, you know. They they don't have a a set number of people that get in every year. Oh, I'm in. That's really funny. Um, I do think, because uh, uh, I do think I have this Hawkster trophy that I'm holding right here, and I, I do think Geno Smith does deserve this trophy from me for yes for the Hawk of the Year. Um, I think I'm. This is a half formed thought coming out here, but boy, do I think as just an NFL watching community, where it's hard not to be biased about a player's reputation. And look, there's a guy named, there's a guy named Brock Purdy. I don't know if you've heard about him. Never never heard of him. No. Just so you know, in about 22 months, this young man went from the seventh round pick of the NFL draft, which is basically the entire NFL giving him a grade of you. You have about a 40% shot of making the roster week one. That's what the NFL said. And 22 months later, he's in the Super Bowl. He's going to play in the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. It's one of the greatest NFL stories of all time. And somehow we've reduced it to, ah, but is he a real? He's not a. Re- he's not doing real quarterback things or something like that. And I feel like I feel like because of that seventh round thing, it's like if he makes a mistake, it's like, yep, seventh rounder. I knew it. And then if he leads his team back from 24 to 7 down at halftime. It's kind of like, oh, well, there was other, you know, good players. And I feel like that same thing's happening with Gino because we know he was wandering the desert for so many years as as this backup who had this has this incredible revival. It's it's maybe there's maybe no NFL career ever like it. So then I think when Gino makes a mistake, it's like that and you're just kind of like building up this like negative thing instead of just like watching what's actually happening so look at this point geno smith and russell wilson have nearly identical records when they're in the nfl not being coached by pete carroll they're both about 12 and 19 when they're not coached by pete carroll 
Geno Smith, 1.9% interception rate this year. That's a match for Russell Wilson's career. They're right there. 1.9% taking care of the ball. He had four game-winning drives on the year. Russell Wilson beat that in one season. He had five one year. Uh, 245 yards per game. Uh, rusted better than that in five of his 12 seasons. So Geno Smith's year was right in the middle of like, and, and Russell Wilson is top 20 all-time in career yards and touchdowns. So Geno Smith had this year that would not be Russell Wilson's best year, but it would be Russell Wilson's like fourth, fifth, sixth best year out of his 12 with the Seahawks. And it's just amazing. And, and there's conversation because there's this deadline coming up in February that the Seahawks could cut him loose. And it's like, gotta, like cut him loose for who, man? Like, yeah. uh, I don't, I'm not really hearing a name, you know, to make sense of who would be better than Geno Smith. And I, I think, I think, I think he's, just, I think he's a very high quality quarterback and like, yeah, okay. So he's not 23. And so he's not going to be the quarterback for the next 15 years. Still think he is by far the Seahawks' best option at quarterback for 2024, and and I think they could be a deep playoff. If other, there's a lot of things to solve around Renton, and quarterback's not one of them. If, if a few other things get solved, you could see this team being uh, at the conference championship level next year. Sure, uh, but it, what's it, it felt like the kind of rhythm of the offense play calling would be the kind of thing to solve, and not like Geno's abilities he just takes such good care of the ball yeah i so makes hard decisions sorry i no, i completely agree with you and and yes he he is there's no doubt he's the most important player there is one thing he did a really he didn't even show up for though like there's one thing as a football player that he did not help the seahawks at all and that is stopping the run miles and you have to be able to stop the run to to win football games and Gino just was not I don't think he was a willing defensive tackle for us he would not get in there and stop the run other teams listen it is undeniable you have to admit this even though you love Gino it is undeniable that in the games that Gino started there were games where we absolutely got gashed in the run game and he did nothing he did nothing to stop them I'm, they I'm, ran seeing, I'm looking them. at his stats right now. I'm seeing zero tackles, zero sacks. So, I can't believe it. I thought what you were going to mention is that he was not holding kicks for Jason Myers. What? Back quarterbacks used to do that. What? How did? When did that change? I think it changed anyway. with Tony Romo. I think oh, it changed with Tony <laughs> with the Seahawks. I think that is. <laughs> I think we go back to the Seahawks, baby. I think uh, literally um for a million dollars can you tell me who tackled tony romo on the way to the end zone i shouldn't do this to you on live television babineau um, yes yes he did it big play babs jordan babineau oh my gosh best moment ice was screaming my lungs out in joy that night it was great it was perfect Perfect moment. But yeah, I think that's the last time that, uh, <laughs> that they had a floor, which is crazy because anyway, it Gino, is. Well, to, just to say, Gino did not help out Jason Myers with any of that this year. And he didn't do that either. Yeah, he didn't hold the ball well. Um, and he didn't uh, uh, during during kicks. And and yeah, he was a terrible defensive tackle. Besides that, though, he, he did his job fairly well. Um, Seahawks did hire him to play quarterback. And when he played quarterback. Pretty uh, good. He. 
Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, I, there's an idea that like, oh, so, all right. So Gino is probably somewhere around the 15th best quarterback in the league this year. I would guess, I would say um, somewhere around, it's kind of hard to differentiate. And there's a school of thought that it's like, okay, well that's league average. And if you're at league average, you're kind of stuck and you need to take a huge swing at a quarterback in the draft. Cause then you could get the next Patrick Mahomes. That's the only way you could do it. And it's like, I don't really think that's a strategy. Patrick Mahomes is one of the best two or three football players of all time. If you can get one of the two or three best football players of all time on your team, yeah, I, I would go ahead and do that. I, I would take Patrick Mahomes over Geno Smith, but that's not really a strat. Like, they, they, there's only two or three of those two or three best players of all time. It's not really a strategy of like how to build a team of like, uh, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's totally true. It's it's um it's a lot like at the end of the year where we were winning those games so closely. Like it's great to win a few games at the end of the year on final drives. And it's great that you can do it at like a 75% clip. We were killing it, but it's not a strategy for winning. You have to do all the fundamentals. You have to have a team that can stop the run, that can run the football, that can get to the quarterback that can, you know, do, do each, each phase. We should, we should move on. We're rambling. No, sorry. I can't move on. The stat got passed around about the Niners not being able to be beat in the fourth quarter. And so it's like, Oh, to beat the Niners, you get up big on them in the fourth quarter. Well, that's, that's so like to beat them is to beat in order to beat them. You beat them. That that's not a strategy either. So anyway, there we go. Come take, you know, I'm I'm glad I got that one. (laughs) I was not worth it (laughs) interrupting you. It's good. It's good to get it off your chest. The 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 next and the last, by the way, award go. It's my favorite one uh, for obvious reasons. The Pete Nugget of the year. Um, Miles, you want to give us yours first? I, I haven't seen this, so I'm really excited to hear your Pete. Nugget I've got of a the Tupperware year. full of nuggets. I've I've been saving them all year. Some of them are a little moldier than others. I will say I've got two. I've got one on the like emotional side and one on the practical side. The one on the practical side that I had found was that Pete is very cognizant of the pressure that can go on a first-round quarterback after you draft him. So when you're losing, it's tempting to look a few months ahead and be like, ah, I want to get this quarterback high in the draft. And I thought it was really smart that Pete is looking a few months ahead of that and going like, man, when September-October rolls around, it could really mess with a quarterback's development to have – all that pressure on him right away. You, you like it's it's just so much pressure, and I think it's led to some very interesting decisions in Seattle over the years. To it, it led to Geno Smith it, instead of saying, "Ah, oh, Russell Wilson's leaving, so we need to draft a quarterback in the first round." It's kind of like, well, by by doing this Geno Smith thing, it, it really smartly kind of created this situation where there was no pressure, and I I think that that had a huge. It couldn't have hurt. Geno Smith. We'll never know how much it actually impacted, but I thought that was just so smart. It made me think of even when they they signed Matt Flynn to that tiny free agent yep. contract and uh, never ended up playing him, but it, it was like they were on the same page even way back then. My more emotional moment was the the spiritual side of Pete was the one you talked about towards the end of the year where he he in his mind, the Seahawks were a playoff team. It was just a matter of like when the season ended. That was going like the like the Hawks were going to be a playoff team, no matter if they were literally going to the playoffs or not. And um, it's I th- I think 
it just shows the the power of his optimism and how how deeply it can change his world and, and the Seahawks world uh, to just be like, yeah, this is a playoff team. I don't know if we're going to get into the playoffs or if we mathematically can, but this is a playoff team. I, I absolutely loved it. Those those are my two nuggets. The I guess they're both on the 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 more emotional leadership side, but yeah, so, so savvy with the first round thing and. And so, so quintessentially, Pete with the we're, we're a playoff team. It's it was incredible. I that moment was great. You're you, that is the quintessential Pete Carroll moment that you just captured perfectly. The idea that um, I don't know if the season's long enough to allow us to be a playoff team, but we are. Like I, I believe in these guys in that way. Um, and it means something because he's been on plenty of those teams, right? So it's not like I'm saying it. Like, hey, I think it's a playoff team. Like. Pete Carroll knows something about that. He's a he is an expert in that in that realm. Uh, mine, it, it, and this might be a bit lazy, but I think it's my favorite thing that I ever heard Pete say. Um, because um, a, as much as I want to be committed to my profession and to be great at what I do, um, there is more to life than than what you do for a living, and there is more to life than your favorite hobby hobbies, and there's more to life than competing. Um, and I just love the thought that, um, his final presser when asked, what was your favorite moment as a Seahawk that he instantly talked about fine being on the stadium or on the stage, they had just won the Super Bowl, probably the most ego moment of a man's life. I'm assuming, like, I'm assuming if you were to try to find when is the ego at its highest point? It would be on the stage and you just won the Super Bowl against all of these other Adonises and like your team is standing victorious. And his favorite moment was making eye contact with his wife um, and finding her in the crowd. That 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 to me, it, it speaks to one's bounce when it comes to life and when it comes to what's important and it's not to minimize football it's not to say football isn't important it's not to say that Pete's not ultra competitive but it's to say that something can be higher than something that's very high and important in your life um and i think we have a tendency to to have an either or stance on, in our society where you're either ultra competitive or you're not and the idea that Pete can say, I'm ultra competitive and I want to win and I will do anything I can to win. And that is of highest, a very high importance to me. But then there's a notch higher and that's that's my wife and that's sharing moments with her in real life. Um, I, I think, and I, I'm sure of this, that, that that kind of philosophy and that understanding of the way the world actually works Um probably was eye-opening to his players throughout the years. I'm sure there's plenty of kids that that grew up thinking this is the most important thing in the world because people have always told me this is why I'm valuable, right? Um, you, are, you are valuable to our community uh, because you're a football player, right? You're, you're the star football player at, on your high school. You're the star football player in college. This is where you... Um, where where you show your value and how we value you as a person. And I bet you there's a lot of kids over the years that has seen the way Pete looks at life and realized, oh, I'm more than just that. And and I do I do bring more to my community, to my family, to 
to my dad, to my, to my friends than just this one thing. This is not the defining thing of who I am. This is just a thing of who I am. And um, I, I, when I think of Pete finding his wife in the crowd, that's a beautiful example of it. He, he is a head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He is a Super Bowl champion, but that's not who he is. That's just one of the things he is. So that's that's the thing that really just grabs me when I think of Pete. And honestly, it almost makes me cry because that's that's pretty cool. He's a, he's a cool dude. No, you, you're, you're getting me as well. And that was very well said. And you actually discussed this moment to me. Uh, it was we were talking, but there were no microphones and nothing was recording. I'm not sure what that what that was. Um, it was not a podcast, but we were. Well, what do you call those? Conver- oh, con- con- uh, whatever. Con- Converse? Um, no, that's a, that's a shoe. That's a tennis shoe. Conversation. We were You're having not- a conversation, and you described yeah. this moment to me. And when it, then when I went back and watched it, I was struck by. Uh, this question about his favorite moment as a Seahawk, it kind of comes from nowhere in the middle of the press conference because there's a lot of fact-finding in this press conference in terms of like, okay, what's happening? Like, you're an advisor or whatnot. This conversation kind of comes from from nowhere, and you're, what struck me about it was the immediacy of his answer. Yeah, uh, That's how you described it, and you, you're exactly right to do that because uh, it felt like this moment... And this thought and this relationship he has with his wife was just like front of mind, like like right there for him. And and so the the immediacy of it really struck me when I saw him describing this. And and yeah, how how powerful that but that had to be a great feeling to be uh on top of the world like that and to have known that they've been on this insanely long journey across so many different cities and getting critiqued by so many different fan bases and for so many different little things, you know, pretty cool. remember when he were, you know, was at Ohio state, you know, coaching the secondary and some columnist was mad about the secondary at Ohio state in 1984, whenever he was there, you know, the late eighties Vikings, ah, they're not closing the defense. It's like, (laughs) it's always something, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, he's he's a gem, man. He's an absolute gem. Um, it was a fun season, wasn't it? And I and honestly, man, talking to you every week made it even more fun and interesting. And um, I've shared with many uh, personal friends um, doing this podcast it was really just about you and I being able to hang out every single week and and have a chance to have a reason to speak about something and and let our brains wrap around something. Um, but it, it certainly made watching football more enjoyable to me when I knew I'd have to talk about it the next day and, and really think through it a little bit um, and take some notes and and all of that. So um, that's the year in review, man. It, it was really, really fun. Do we put a bow on the year? And now we talk, I think, a little bit about where they're going. I mean, how do we transition from a whole year of football to you know the Seahawks don't have any coaches. They they, they who who's the Seahawks head coach? Crickets. Who's the Seahawks? Uh, yeah. Well, who, look, who's the it, OC? It, it it was a pleasure to do this with with you too, man. I mean, my goodness, it it is it is a ton of fun. I just want to, sit, but uh, we got to flip the well, flipping this calendar to twenty twenty four emotionally for the world's only 
Seahawks podcast. Can I tell you something that I think Pete taught me? Yes. Because I'm still, um, I'm still feeling, um, it's been an emotional roller coaster for me seeing the news come out about who the Hawks are interviewing, who they aren't interviewing. What I realized we forgot to even, (laughs) I don't even know how much we're going to discuss this, but offensive coordinator Shane Waldron is now the offensive coordinator of the Bears. I'm seeing candidates' names that I'm very excited that they're talking to. I'm seeing candidates' names I'm very scared they're talking to. I'm seeing candidates who I'm scared they're not talking to. But here's what I've learned from Pete. And I think, actually, his relationship with Jamal Adams this year really taught me this. Of like, it really doesn't matter who this coach, and there is no coach right now. There, you know what there could be during the time we were recording this, which would be really funny to just I, pop up. Now, I will <laughs> say I did check um, a few minutes ago just because I was like, we should, we should. And as of um, like five minutes ago, there there was no coach. And and currently, yeah, no that's coach, no guarantee. That's no, no guarantee. No at all. No, we don't have an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. Clint Hurt is now with the Eagles um, as their D-line coach. Oh my! That's not breaking news necessarily. I think that happened yesterday, but yeah. Oh whoops! Um, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Clint Hurt, defensive line coach for the Eagles. Kind of fun though. I mean, imagine Clint Hurt. He's he's a smart man. I mean, if you're going to coach a defensive line, go to the Eagles. I mean, that's insane. It's like, all right, guys, um, let call me if you need me. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I could be the D-line coach for the Eagles. I just have to work out a lot more. Clint Hurt's a much larger man than me. Here's, here, here's what I learned from, from Pete. Um, it's not with Jamal, is that it doesn't... No matter what I thought of this candidate before they got hired, and, and same with, like, I'm going to be all in on this guy once he becomes the coach of the Seahawks. Like, no matter what. I think it was the same thing with... It was a rocky road for Jamal this year. And I'm not talking the ice cream. I'm talking it was a it was a bumpy road yeah. for Jamal on the field and off the field. And I think it was very powerful that, that Pete... He didn't pretend like Jamal was having a great season or something like that. Because he wasn't. And... It's also true that the Seahawks really lost the trade if you kind of look at draft value and stuff like that. But I think it's very smart of Pete to say like, okay, the draft value, that conversation, that's in the past. Uh, This is our guy. He's on our team. And it's the same thing with this coaching search. I would not have made the change in in coach. uh, And I still feel really bad (laughs) that he's just kind of like (laughs) – What's he doing day to day? What's what has Pete been doing day to day this month? I mean, it would, yeah. Uh, advising on what exactly? Uh, you know, um, so I'm, I, I'm still not happy how it all went down. It's not how I would have done it, but nonetheless, I'm going to be all in behind this guy, whoever uh, he or she is. Um, when, whenever they they get appointed as the head coach of the Seahawks. That said, boy, would I be ex- well. I'm more excited about some other some people than others. Yeah, but I, I think to your point, if if Pete's listening to this, I, I feel like I could hear his words say, yeah, because why wouldn't you be? Like, why wouldn't you just be all like excited and, and hope that someone's going to be successful and and help them and compete with them and support them and all that? I, I feel like that might be exactly what Pete would say in the context of that conversation. 
right? Because what's the upside of not? Like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you be excited and be supportive? Like, it doesn't it doesn't help anyone to be negative. Um, you know, it, that's yeah. That's it's. I love that man. I, I love I love Pete Learnings because he really does. He's a treasure trove. So I'd be very excited if if Mike McDonald was the coach, your I'm guy, defensive coordinator of the Ravens. I'm a McDonald maniac. Um, yeah. And I, I and I think it's I think it is compelling that I was that way in the middle of the season when we yeah. could not have fathomed Pete um, being let go at the end of the year and McDonald. You know, I talked about him being a head coaching candidate, and I did not think it was necessarily going to be with the Seahawks. I've been watching some interviews with the man, and I, I'm just very impressed. You so be very excited. May, may I say just one quick thing? Oh, you yeah. were the first person to ever mention his name to me. I had never heard of Mike mcdonald until you mentioned him so i just want i want that to be on the public record that you you introduced me to mike not well, i think there's this sensation watching the ravens this year that a lot of people have said that it's like they had 12 or 13 guys out there yeah and and so that feels like odds so not not to i was never quite as excited about ben johnson although i'm not that might be my bad not not being as excited about ben johnson but uh that was just that was just that just was it feels like Mike McDonald's signature of like creating the illusion of many, many people out there. Let me let me throw this out out at you though. I don't know why Bill Belichick isn't being considered as a candidate. I like not every like okay. It's not gonna be a fifteen year a fourteen year engagement as it was with Pete if you bring in Bill Belichick, but the man is still an elite defensive coach, and I just and and John mentioned uh, John Schneider mentioned in his press conference that they're not looking to tear the team down, which was one of my anxious questions from last time. They they think they're on the brink of the Super Bowl. Hey, this this you know what an alignment here. We got a guy who can who can be in here for a three year four year push to the Super Bowl. We're not building from the ground up. It's a playoff ready team. Um, it's bizarre to me that it's just that that nobody's even thinking about it. It just is bizarre to me. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Bizarre. Yeah, I mean, two of the best coaches of all time are both willing and wanting to coach, and no one wants to them to coach. I mean, it is. Yes, it is yeah, that's the other thing. It's bizarre that this whole thing went by and nobody was really pursuing Pete. That was at, as crazy to me as well. Like I don't, um, and it would be really funny if Belichick succeeded Pete in both new England. And then again, that would, that would be, yeah, that there would be a great humor to that. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It, it feels, it, it just, it feels like we're maybe outsmarting ourselves with like, yeah, I, I know they're really old for NFL coaches, but can you imagine being me Morris and being like, wait, you're hiring me as the Falcons head coach you interviewed Bill Belichick twice. Like the Falcons, the first guy they brought in was Bill. They brought him in a second time. If like, if I'm Raheem, I am walking on sunshine right now. It's like, dude, I, I, I imagine being like the top sales guy. I'm trying to think of even what the equivalent would be. Like you're in marketing and you go in for an interview and Don Draper walks out of that interview and you're like, oh, well, not going to get this gig. I'm screwed. And then you end up actually getting it. 
Um, it's pretty crazy. So, and by the way, Raheem's a guy that I was, I was hoping we'd, we would pursue as well. Cause I, I've heard a lot of great things about him. Um, but yeah, it's wild. Here's why I was confused about them. Uh, nothing against Raheem Morris, but here's why I was confused about it is his last job before he's with the Rams was the Falcons interim head coach. Yeah. They had him in the building. So I don't, so it's kind of a bizarre, like bittersweet thing. Like, well, they said no to him back in 2021 or whatever. Like, I didn't. It's, yeah, in some ways that's kind of cool it. because it's it's kind of like maybe that speaks to an organization being like, yeah, man, we're bummed we let you go, or yeah, like we're glad we let you go because you had a chance to learn something important that you needed before your next gig. Who who knows? But yeah, you're right. It's it's crazy that Bill um, and Pete are not being. Uh, considered. And now I would say this, this is where you and I, I think maybe differ a little bit. I would argue the reason they're not being considered and and maybe the reason why they shouldn't be. And now I could be very, very wrong. And I, they could both make me look like an idiot with this take, but I don't think that either of them are connected with, with the talent of the NFL right now. Meaning I don't think they are connected with the top talent uh, of offensive and defensive coordinators. If you look at Bill's history over the last couple of years, a lot of guys that he brings back into the fold, you know, hey, coach with me again, come on back. Um, Pete, you know, there was a time when when Pete got the job where it was, it was Quinn and it was Gus Bradley. Um, and it really felt like he was bringing in innovation into um, – into the Seahawks from an OC and a DC perspective. And indeed you would see our, we were at the time, I mean, you know, 10 years ago, it was like we are where the Rams are right now, meaning we can't hold on to staff because everyone wants to hire our, our people, right? We, we get Dan, we get Gus Bradley, he's doing great. And then we lose him. And then we get Dan Quinn, he's doing great. Then we lose him. And the same thing was happening, I guess, maybe never on the offensive side as much. Um, but it just seemed like we had a plethora of really good young coaches coming through the org. And I got to say the last couple of years, it hasn't felt that way. It hasn't felt like we were connected with kind of the pipeline of young, good coaching talent. Um, and I do think that hurt Pete a little bit. I honestly do. And I think it hurt Bill a little bit too, not having some of these younger guys to mold. And I think they would hire them if they could. I just don't think they know them. And I think they're just in a different life stage. And so I don't know if that's a correct take or not. Um, but I, I have a feeling that's kind of one of the reasons why both both orgs kind of decided, yeah, it's, you know, it might just be time to hang up the spurs. I think that's a lot more compelling in the case of Belichick because there's a lot of retreads. And yeah. Of, and the retreads because guys go somewhere, they have difficulty there, and then they like come back home. Yeah. To New England. I think with the Seahawks, though, like Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel in Dallas and Miami were were leading two of the most explosive offenses in the league this year. And Canales was also in Tampa Bay only one year. That's after true. A long, That's true. After a long time. So, so I think I don't think Pete is. I, I wonder if we're in a period where. Being in your 30s is very interesting and it's very impressive and it makes me wonder <laughs> how the heck it's it's weird to creep up into coach age yeah, now. But, for sure. uh, <laughs> but you, um yeah. 
it's not necessarily a positive, and I feel like it's kind of being treated as a positive. Um, yeah, I have no. I mean, I the Seahawks hired a guy yeah. who was fifty-eight, you know, and it Don't, worked out for a long time. In Don't NFL hire years. someone just because they're young. Yeah, that's stupid. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, so, a reporter a couple of weeks ago asked um, McShay about, um, or I'm sorry, McShay, McVeigh about being hired. And he was just like, yeah, man, I mean, I, I honestly don't know what they were thinking. Sometimes I see Mr. Cronky in the hallway at, at the facility. I'm like, dude, what were you thinking? Why would you hire me, man? Like, is it, like he was hired at like 31, right? Or 32. I mean, McVeigh was hired at an insanely young age. And uh, I, I just, I love the idea of him saying like, what the hell were you thinking? Why, why in the world did you hire me? <laughs> Have you lost your mind? But it worked talk out, about, obviously. Talking about having earned some job security. Uh, by the way, I want to say one thing working against Pete, and it is funny with the Niners getting into the Super Bowl again this year. The NFC West has sent the team to the Super Bowl in six of the last 11 years. Out of the, cool. the four NFC divisions. And depending on how things go here, I think you could look back and say, okay, Pete Carroll, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan were all in the division at the same time. And those are all top 20 coaches in NFL history. Like, yep. Obviously, those those guys have a ways to some more wins to compile before they, they get there. But, I mean, I don't think the division was ever treated as like a heavyweight classic like that. But that's uphill sledding for real. Like, Pretty crazy. I, I think that gets, gets discounted. Maybe because there's a time right before that when it was the worst division in football, but it's been it's been a juggernaut here for a while. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty rough, and it does make you feel a little better watching that 49ers team to be like, well, two of the Seahawks' losses did come against that monster. Um, it was some some pretty some pretty tough games on that old schedule this year. Yeah, I mean the four teams in Championship Weekend, the Hawks played three of them for four games total. Like a quarter of their schedule was against these conference champion. I mean, yeah, that, they had to be the only team in the NFL who had to do that, right? I mean, come on. It was wild. It was a wild, uh, a wild ride. Can and I, I th- mention one more name as we're re- reaching the end of our our time here? Oh yeah, because okay, so the Seahawks have interviewed Mike Kafka, currently the Giants' offensive coordinator. I'm sure Mike Kafka's time will come, but that name. I didn't like seeing it because I remember that 24 to three victory over the giants with the 11 sacks that was on Kafka's offense. And I was looking at Kafka's history and he was an assistant with the chiefs before moving to the giants. And it made me realize that also nobody's talking about Eric B enemy. Uh, I don't, it, I was so frustrated a year or two ago why nobody was talking about this guy. And uh, I, I don't, I don't know what happened, why he's not being um, considered as a coach. So this was Patrick Mahomes' first year without enemy as his offensive coordinator. In the regular season, 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Even Patrick Mahomes didn't uh, – right now, he knows how to turn it on in the playoffs, but it's those aren't ama- even Patrick Mahomes didn't have amazing numbers without enemy. I don't know what – if there's something else, why – something we don't know in the public – Everything we know publicly says Eric Bieniemy is is a is a better coaching candidate than just about everybody who was hired by another team this offseason. So anyway, it's, 
It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it might speak to some of those intangibles. I always think when I think of a guy like that, it could be that he's the Vic Fangio of offenses, meaning like Vic Fangio is an elite defensive coordinator. He's he is freaking great at it. Um, but I think even he's like, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a head coach. Like I tried that and like that's just not who I am. And I wonder if, if that's starting to kind of creep in for the enemy a little bit like, yeah, this is just, you know, maybe not who he is. I could be, but Fangio got his shot, right? He did get a shot. Yeah, yeah, he did get a shot. He did get a shot. No, it's interesting, man. Yeah, I mean, it, but to your point, I mean, he wasn't on, I don't think, any of these lists. Maybe he got a couple of interviews. I don't know. It just felt bizarre to me that Kafka, as Biennemi's assistant, was being interviewed before, or like interviewed Bien-Ami. the cycle when Biennemi wasn't. Yeah. Now, all that said, so those, those, those are my confusion. This is also how it would go if the Seahawks were hiring Mike McDonald. This whole time, I'm happy that these weeks are like, I was happy that they didn't like impulsively do something, being very patient um, as these playoff weeks went by. It felt like maybe a long few weeks as coach, coaches were hired here and there around the league, but uh, the Seahawks are in position to to get Mike McDonald. I mean, there's only two positions left, Seattle and Washington. And I, I feel like Seattle is a much more appealing organization closer to contention. I, I would choose Seattle if I were McDonald. Yeah. I mean, I would too, but I'm, I can't be trusted in that conversation. I trust you. Being, <laughs> I trust you more in that, like not being partial than me. I'm, I'm yeah, I, I have, I have I mean, no the commanders had the number two pick, right? Aren't they number two? I mean, yeah. I mean, let's see. They have a, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's certain things about, you get to hang out with Magic Johnson probably, right? If you take that job. So that's, that's a plus. I'm not joking. I mean, that'd be pretty, if you told me I got to hang out with Magic Johnson a couple of times a year or like many times a year. I, I mean, imagine if Magic's a part of some of those interviews. You're, how do you say no to Magic Johnson? You'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? Magic's time is split then, though. I mean, isn't he still with the Dodgers? You know, he's been a lot of... busy with the Dodgers. Um, Magic's a busy man. He's a busy man. Here's my promise to Mike McDonald as the World's Only Seahawks podcast. If you become the head coach of the Seahawks, you will be under no pressure to get rid of all the forks in your house. Hmm. We won't use that as a measure of your dedication to the future leader of the Seahawks defense, Devin Witherspoon. You You can have... You can even throw out all the spoons in your house. We'll, we'll have no no expectation for his personal cutlery because I think he's that skilled of a defensive coordinator that 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 silverware drawer can have whatever in it. I he has the freedom to, to choose what he wants to put in there. I thought you were going to say he doesn't have to worry about coming on the podcast. That like we, we won't pressure him, we won't guilt him into it. You know, he can just if he wants to come on, great. If not, we get it too. Um, but no, I, I, I think it's big of you to, to, to point that out to him. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I'll never use a fork in my life ever again, but that's a personal decision. So. Excellent. I thought, oh, I thought the commitment was just for Devin Witherspoon's tenure with the Hawks, but, um, that's Damn why it. you're real. <laughs> that's why you're real 12. Oh man. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll rethink that. All right. I think we've, I think we've run our, our course here. I think we've done it. I think, 
I think we've wrapped the season. I think we've talked playoffs. I think we've talked coaching. Any concluders for the audience before we say au revoir? That was French. I'm not. Boy, fooling. would I love to share. I, I'd love to share a Belichick nugget and I'd love to share a McDonald nugget next year. They'd be so exciting for different reasons. But like I said, I'm behind this guy no matter what, whoever this guy is. Thank you. That's the legacy of Pete right there. Hey, always compete. Go Hawks.